That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Well, hello, friends. Hello, friends and neighbors. And welcome on this Friday, August 23rd, around 8.30 a.m. Welcome to the weekly Bill Press Pod Roundtable where we look back on the big stories of the week with some of the sharpest political reporters in Washington. And joining us this week, John Allen from NBC News. Lester Holt's eyes and ears on the campaign trail. Hello, John. Um, Good to see you. Lester has wonderful eyes and ears of his own, but uh, I appreciate being mentioned in the same sentence. Uh, you're part of the good, the good team there. And with us also from Inside Elections, Leah Ascaranam tracking every 2019 and 2020 race in the country from dog catcher to president. She's on top of it. Hi, Leah. Hi. I don't know who's running for dog catcher, yeah. full disclosure. <laughs> I think some of the 2020 Democratic candidates <laughs> may end up running for dog catcher the way it is. Well, you would think that with the House and the Senate out of town, it would have been a quiet week. But of course, Donald Trump was in town, so it was anything. But in fact, uh, leaving for the White House for Kentucky on Wednesday. He spent almost an hour talking with reporters on the South Lawn of the White House before hopping on Marine One, uh, giving us almost enough of material that we could talk about it for weeks, just from that one little news conference. Greenland seemed to be the number one topic. John, we thought it was a joke. It turned out he was serious. Yeah, Greenland is um, an ice sheet, and Iceland is actually pretty green. I think that's something that not every American understands. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and I think it's important to recognize. Does he know that? I think he probably does, certainly at this point. Um, look, it's not irrational to, to view the entire world and say there's limited property in the world, and if you could buy a huge chunk of it, it would make sense to buy a huge chunk of it. Doesn't that, that have to be for sale first? Well, and look, you know, we both live uh, in, a, in a neighborhood where uh, there's uh, interest in the property. And uh, I sometimes get phone calls from random people that say, uh, hey, I'm interested in buying your house. And I politely say no, because my wife would kill me if I sold our house out from under her and our <laughs> children. Um, but, uh, you know, when that happens, usually... Uh, the rejection notice, um, you know, doesn't come along with the buyer coming by your house and then spray painting it with epithets about the people who live in there, which is sort of what the president did when he started trashing the officials from Denmark. Yeah. Well, in fact, Leah, he was... by, by, by the way, especially when it's an empty lot that you were trying to buy. <laughs> he was very upset by, by her language um, when she rejected his offer. The Prime Minister used a terrible word when describing something that we've been talking about for years with our country. And I thought it was not a nice statement the way she blew me off. I know Denmark well. I have many friends from Denmark. And we treat countries with respect. She shouldn't treat the United States that way by saying, what an absurd, she said, absurd. That's not the right word to use, absurd. By the way, I think it's absurd, but... Um 
I don't want to quibble over small point, but that's not such a nasty word. I mean, I have many friends from Denmark. I don't know if <laughs> yeah. anyone has ever said that or ever will again. Um, I mean, I think the Danes are great. <laughs> I mean, I don't have very many friends from. I mean, it just doesn't. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But what I do think is interesting is we think about Donald Trump as this master of PR, who's able to mold the news cycle and figure out how to take these kind of crazy ideas and make them seem palatable. And this was just a massive PR failure. I mean, way to take an idea that maybe has some substance to it and make it a total punchline. Do you think, did you ever consider like John, trading it for Utah, maybe? Or I mean, we've heard we've Kentucky, heard, a red state. We, Arizona might be his best well, we've chance heard, this year. <laughs> yeah. we've, we've heard Puerto Rico as yeah, a possibility. Right. Um, you know, there are 55,000 or so people in Greenland. Um, and if you were able to get it admitted as a state to the union, uh, you would have two senators for 55,000 people. Um, and uh, living in the District of, of Columbia, I, <laughs> my, my jaw would like, just hit the floor if I had to, had to, had to look at that, um, you know, because we have so many more people and, and no representation in Congress uh, or no voting representation in Congress. Um, you know, I think this too shall pass. But it is, on a more serious kind of note, another example of Donald Trump picking fights with his friends, um, mm -hmm. you know, and just deciding that uh, it's it's okay to punch them. Uh, and he seems to make friends with his enemies and treat them very, very well uh, and treat his friends very, very poorly. To the extent that uh, Donald Trump's supporters, right, will go to any length to back him up, even when he says something absurd. Um, I thought it was interesting that the Republican National Committee uh, came out with a fundraising letter right away saying, help us, no, let's support Donald Trump in his efforts to make America grow. Oh, <laughs> that's gosh. That's, that's the reasoning on it. Right? We all know that Republicans and especially Trump supporters have been cheering on Greenland for years now <laughs> yeah. at, at every Trump rally. That's all we hear about is Greenland. No, I mean, I think it's just further proof that uh, Donald Trump is the Republican Party and that Republicans think that their path to victory is basically through Donald Trump. And anybody who does decide to go against the president is putting him or herself, but since Republicans, mostly himself, at a political risk. I think it's fair to say that if Barack Obama had suggested oh. buying Greenland from Denmark, that soon people would have figured out that he was actually born uh, in Greenland <laughs> a, before he moved to Kenya, before he moved to Hawaii. Before, by the way, none of that is true, and I'm not suggesting that it is true, but, but you would hear this public outcry that there was some sort of nefarious reason, uh, you know, uh, why President Obama was doing it, uh, rather than trying to make America grow. Right. right. The old rules but, no longer apply to this presidency. All right. Enough about Greenland. The more serious, um, maybe doubling down that Donald Trump did uh, on Wednesday talking to reporters was he came back to this statement uh, building on his attacks on the four women called the squad in Congress whom he's accused of being of hating Israel and being anti-semitic uh, and enlarging that to say now that any Jew who would vote for any Democrat uh, well let him say it in my opinion you vote for a Democrat you're being very disloyal 
to Jewish people and you're being very disloyal to Israel. And only weak people would say anything other than that. So American Jews who vote for Democrats are either ignorant or totally disloyal. Or weak, I think, or was weak. at the end yeah. there. It's hard to imagine that that was a message that was targeted toward Jewish voters. You know, like that was not something that's going to get Jewish voters riled up and ready to support Donald Trump. It seems like it's targeted at people who maybe are not big fans of Jewish voters. He seems to think, John, that it's going to attract Jews, American Jews, to vote for Republicans. Um he may think that. I don't think anybody else who's familiar with the American Jewish community thinks that. Uh, if anything, you've basically got a three-quarters, one-quarter split. About three-quarters of the Jewish community is yeah. Democratic, quarter Republican. Um, what he's actually doing there is probably cutting in half the quarter that's Republican and making uh, half of it think that he's lost his mind uh, because uh, half of them will look at that and say that, uh, that it's disgusting that he would accuse uh, the Democratic Jewish people of uh, being disloyal to Israel because they, he is uh, inserting that canard of dual loyalty. Or in, in the first iteration of what he said, where he was much more vague about this, there was almost a, a canard of quadruple <laughs> loyalty that he was throwing out there. Israel, the United States, uh, Judaism. I mean, there's like a whole bunch of things that he thought that Jews should be loyal to, but mostly to him. Um, and, you know, it's uh, knowing a little something about the Jewish faith, uh, dissent is, is really like at the heart of, mm -hmm. of Jewish thought. And so uh, he really put himself, I think, in a bad position with the part of the Jewish community that supports him. Uh, I think there's a very small set that would look at it and say, boy, those Jewish Democrats really are disloyal to Judaism and to Israel. And that is a very, very, very um, hardcore set. Mm -hmm. uh, and everybody else looks at it and says, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, that said, there are people in the evangelical community that agree with him. Well, and it reminds me of when Trump talks about um, black voters and black communities and talks about, you know, what's, what do you have to lose because your communities are, are so um, violent or whatever he says. Um, that message is not targeted toward black voters. Donald Trump knows he's not going to win black voters. That is targeted toward people who share the belief that black people or who are frankly racist um and i think we're seeing something similar with his messaging with jewish voters because there's just no way that jewish voters are going to hear that message and say that sounds like my president uh and again uh as part of that dialogue uh on wednesday uh he looked up into the sky <laughs> and said something bizarre which again we might take as a joke but we thought Greenland was a joke, too. Here he is. I am the chosen one. I am the chosen one? Um, <clears throat> that certainly has echoes. He also retweeted some stuff from a, a guy named Wayne Allen Root in Nevada, uh, suggesting that uh, Trump himself was a deity. Yes. Um, and for those of us familiar with uh, the... King of the Jews. Some people call me the king of the, the Jews. The king right? of the Jews. And so some, some of us who are familiar with... Uh, the Bible, the Torah, pretty much any religious literature. First commandment says, says uh, I, the, I am the Lord your God. 
delivered you out of Egypt. Uh, you shall put no other gods before me. That's commandment number one. <laughs> it, like, and there's no, there are some disputes about which order the commandments come in, depending on which, uh, which Bible you're looking at, which version. But like, there's no dispute about number one. Number one's like, hey, don't mess with this. I am the God. Not Charlemagne the God, but the God. And Donald Trump's like, nah, might be me. Could be me. Um, also thinks he's the second coming for Jews. Oh, who yes, yes. Do not believe in the second. They don't, well, they don't believe that the, the first the, coming. That's not, a, that's not a Jewish tenant, which again is why I don't think that that message was targeted toward actual Jewish voters. But, he, but and, and I mean, look, he's going after the non college educated white base that he has. I mean, he's trying to drum that up as much as possible. And in doing so is alienating just about everybody else. Right. And we see it every day more and more and more. So, you know, and he also was just in interest of time. He went out as part of that same Wednesday confab there and talked about how much the people out in El Paso loved him, the, the victims of the mass shooting of the day before, how much they loved him. Um, which raises a question, a couple of questions to me. I mean, Greenland, King of the Jews, Chosen One, these murder victims love their president, love me. Is he all there? <laughs> is, is anybody raising the question about his mental balance? I think you just did. Yeah. It does feel a little bit like the end of the fireworks show where you're kind of just using everything that maybe you were holding back before and throwing it out there and seeing if it sticks. But I don't know whether anybody's raising that question. Okay. But I mean, you obviously don't want to, but I mean, I just, I'm not sure how different the Donald Trump we're seeing today is from the Donald Trump that we've seen since he first descended the escalator. Like, Maybe it's coming faster and more furious, Yeah, um, you know, but I'm not sure that there, I don't see what I would describe as a, uh, a qualitative difference in the behavior of the president. What I may see is a, a slightly quantitative difference. Uh, and maybe freed up or loosened up uh, because he's been in office two and a half years and now he knows he can also, any other, any other politician in America, if they said something about the disloyalty of American Jews they would apologize. They would try to explain it away. Not Donald Trump. Anybody else would. Mike Pence would. Anybody else. Mike Pence wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say it. There's not a chance in the world that Mike Pence would say that. And the reason that there's not a chance in the world that Mike Pence would say that is because Mike Pence is uh, thoughtful, thoughtful about other people's religious experience and views. And that's not to say that, uh, you know, that Mike Pence necessarily uh, agrees with other people's uh, views or experience. It's not to say that he doesn't do things uh, based on religion that don't offend other people, but he is somebody who is thoughtful about it and also uh, particularly attentive to, to the Jewish people at times. He went and visited a vandalized uh, a Jewish cemetery in St. Mm-hmm. Louis uh, shortly after the, the last election. Uh, I mean, I cannot, you, to your point, I cannot imagine any other public official uh, much less the president acting this way. So s- Donald Trump's comments have spurred some Republicans to talk about maybe it's important for the party to have a challenge to him in 2020. And the number one person putting that word out, believe it or not, is Anthony Scaramucci. You mean President Scaramucci, President right? Scaramucci, <laughs> right. Leah, is he serious? And should we believe a word he says after 
Since he left the White House, he actually wrote a book praising Donald Trump less than a year ago. So I wouldn't put past any politician that they believe that they can win a national election, because I think you have to have a crazy amount of confidence to run for president. That said, I do not see how it could be possible. I see zero path for any Republican, let alone one who's kind of made a joke out of himself and an enemy of he the doesn't president. Talk, he doesn't stage. talk about himself running. He said his goal is to get somebody to run against Donald Trump. I, I mean, we've heard a few people at this point start talking about it. We've heard kind of Jeff Flake say that he's been, former Arizona senator, say that he started to um, get pressure from donors. Um, we've heard John Kasich's name floated. But I mean, what's pretty clear is that if you are running against Donald Trump in a primary, you're doing it for the symbol of it and for the principle. You're, uh, there's not a real path. So the win. one that's been out there, John, is uh, Joe Walsh, former congressman. Joe Who? Walsh, talk show host. I <laughs> know, um, I'm, I just, I kid. Um, congressman uh, Walsh, has had this interesting transformation where he got a lot of attention as a Tea Party Republican uh, when he ran for Congress, when he was in Congress, and, and now has decided that he doesn't really want to be mm -hmm. that guy anymore and is now an anti-Trump Republican. Um, but I think he's trying to remain relevant in the national conversation long after he stopped being relevant to the national conversation other than his tweeting uh, against the president. I mean, this, this is one of those transformations that you kind of uh, look at as uh, a desperate plea to stay relevant. I mean, we watch this with with uh, people on broadcast in, in you know DC circles all the time, where they go from like one character to another. Um, so I, I don't think Joe Walsh is going to gain any traction in this in any real way. Uh, lots and lots to talk about. As we mentioned, we didn't even get to the economy yet, or uh, what's happening on the Democratic side of the ticket. We'll be back with John Allen and Leah Scarion in just a moment here on the Bill Press Pod. And today's roundtable is brought to you by the good men and women of the Teamsters Union under the leadership of President Jim Hoffa. 1.14 million strong. They represent not just truck drivers, as you know, but you may be surprised to know they also represent public defenders in Minnesota, vegetable workers in California, sanitation workers in New York, brewers in St. Louis, newspaper workers in Seattle, construction workers in Las Vegas, zookeepers in Pennsylvania, healthcare workers in Rhode Island, bakery workers in Maine, airline pilots, secretaries, and police officers. We salute them all. Check out their website at teamster.org. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. 
CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back with uh, today's roundtable here on this uh, August 23rd. John Allen from NBC News. Leah Ascaranam from Inside Elections. Uh, Donald Trump saying this week that he's considering... Maybe a tax cut, a payroll tax cut, uh, to loom off a, well, he no, he doesn't connect it to the possibility of a recession or a slowdown, but that's what a lot of economists are talking about. Um, Leah, were there a slowdown? Probably the worst possible news for Donald Trump. Oh, definitely. I mean, we've seen that Donald Trump's approval rating has hovered around 44, 45%. We recently saw a poll that saw a dip in the last couple weeks to, into the 30s. Um, that might just be an outlier. Still too early to know. Um, but President Trump himself isn't very popular as a person. What's popular right now is the economy doing well. What's popular is maybe even some of his um, policies, but him as a person is not going to be able to win, run a winning campaign if he can't tout the economy. So, um, John, there was this the very esoteric bond rating that spooked some economists. The Dow fell when that came up. There are a lot of signs that things, if not again, recession could be slowing down. Is that where we're headed? Um, if I could predict recessions, I'd be a very yeah, wealthy right. man. <laughs> um, I think what we're seeing right now is a situation where a lot of those signs exist. Um, and we also have a situation where the government has used basically almost every tool at its disposal to goose the economy. So uh, the fear of a recession is strong and the fear that a re recession would be prolonged because there aren't that many tools to goose the economy is also um, a very real one, right? right? So you can't inject a ton of money into the economy because there's nothing left in the cupboard. We have these huge deficits. We're, we're looking uh, down the barrel of years of trillion-dollar deficits. What do you do? The president right now is looking at a, um, a suspension of uh, capital gains taxes on inflation, um, so basically uh, a windfall for anybody with huge assets, uh, the, and, and, you know, the folks who are proponents of that say that, um, you know, the vast majority of people who pay taxes on capital gains inflation 
uh, make less than $200,000 or make less than $100,000, but the vast majority of the wealth that would be kept as a result of that is at the very top. Uh, it also, if you do that, would create a lot of tax shelter opportunities. Um, they're looking at a payroll uh, mm -hmm. tax freeze, uh, which would help a lot of people at the at the lower ends um, or in the middle end uh, or the middle sure. part. But I, the, but there are not a lot of options for right. the government to help if we do go into recession. So related to um, the economy, I was struck this week by um, a report that the Business Roundtable put out. I don't know whether you guys caught up with that. Uh, so these are 200 CEOs of the biggest companies in the country, Apple, Pepsi, Walmart, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America. They put a report saying, we believe that the role of business in this age in the United States of America is not just to take care of shareholders. It's also our job is to take care of our employees and protect the environment and be fair to our suppliers. It's like, sound like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren wrote this report. I guess my question as a skeptic is, do we expect anything to change? I mean, I was just looking at the main Senate race where Susan Collins, Republican, is, is seeking re-election. Um, and she ended up in national news because of her vote to confirm Brett Kavanaugh. That's where yeah. all this money came in for her mm -hmm. future Democratic opponent. Um, but from what I've heard from people on the ground there, um, what people, what Democrats are going to be going after Susan Collins for is the Republican tax bill, is the idea that the wealth, the wealthy got wealthier and the poor didn't get anything out of it. And I think that they're finding it's a it's an effective political me oh, excuse me a mm -hmm. effective political uh, message to um, kind of feed into that idea that Republicans and Trump are trying to uh, kind of pad their own pockets and forgetting about the normal people. So on, we're on going a, to see a kinder, gentler business community. On a podcast, you can't see me licking my finger and putting it to the wind <laughs> to show what's going on with some of these companies. But oh, they understand yeah. uh, what the rhetoric is against them, but they also understand what the law is. Mm -hmm. And the law is that they have to serve shareholder interest and almost exclusively have that, to that's serve right. shareholder interest to the extent that they can – uh, make an argument that it serves shareholder interest to be interested in the economy or to be to care about their employees or whatever or the environment or the environment. I'm sorry, that's the word I was looking for. With yeah. any, uh, you know, to the extent that they they can do that, they may uh, do a little bit of that. But the bottom line is exactly what they are uh, legally required to do and what they will do. Um, and so the question then becomes. Uh, you know what is it that uh, what is it that the political class, meaning all of us, the voters, um, what is it that they uh, want from the business community? What is it that they want from the lawmakers and from the presidential candidates? And I think the business community is hearing a lot of that in mm -hmm. the Democratic Party, and they're hearing it from President Trump, who, by the way, was elected uh, with at least you know partially a populist message right so back let's jump in now to the democratic side on 2020 uh, big news this week john hickenlooper dropped out and then turned around a couple of days later and announced he's running for senate in colorado which is what a lot of people think he should have done in the first place and jay inslee uh dropped out and said he's going to run for a third term as governor of washington so now we're down to 22 yeah 22 candidates. <laughs> so it? much better. Yeah. Uh, uh, and let me add to that. 
Julian Castro qualified as number 10 for the next debate on September 12. So is that is, is that the field now? I mean, it's the field today but before the next Democratic debate. I'm not going to guess who's going to drop out next because I think it's yeah. half personality, half, you know, mm-hmm. half looking at the polls. John, you're you chopping here. Yeah, go ahead. Seth Moulton dropped out. Oh, he did today? Yes. Okay. Wow. I, right. Thank I you. As we almost were forgot he was still in. So. Yeah. That, that makes a little bit of sense. No surprise. He should have dropped out some so, time ago. Yeah. The, the f- Probably less traction than Marianne Williamson. The culling is well underway. Right. Uh, this is good? That the culling is underway? I don't... I, I mean, I'm not like in a good, bad kind of place to judge. Uh, I, I, but it's... Look, candidates get out because the money runs out or they're not polling well. Um, and so if you're not polling well and the money ran out... Uh, it's time to go. Right. Um, and the New York Times front page this morning um, sort of sums it up in the headline that a lot of Dem- well, I guess one steady through this up and down and in and out is Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. He may not be as high as he was over Bernie and Elizabeth, but he's still in number one. The New York Times puts it as Democrat- some Democrats see Biden as more electable than electrifying now, I wouldn't say this was exactly electrifying, but he came out this week with a new ad where he ties himself 100% to Barack Obama. Joe Biden, you were the first decision I made, and it was the best. It was a relationship forged in fire. Barack Obama and Joe Biden inherited a world in crisis. <laughs> Together, they passed the biggest economic recovery package in the history of the nation. Yeah. Rescued the automobile industry. It goes on and on like that, painting and passed the Joe Biden as the chosen one. Actually, <laughs> there's the the great scene in this ad where Joe Biden uh, jumps out the window uh, like in the Princess Bride and lands in Barack Obama's <laughs> arms. <laughs> and and through that ad, it, it uses words like steady, strong, stable, right, electable. I mean, his wife recently told yes. the crowd that she, uh, that even if you don't really like him that much, you know, he'll, he'll probably defeat Donald Trump, so you should support him. Um, I hope my wife says that on our 50th anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he'd be steady and stable, so <laughs> it worked out that way. But is this message working, and will it work? It seems to be working. We haven't seen. We, look, we haven't had a vote cast in a primary yet, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. But it's it's working. I think it's working right now. Um, we've seen him stay totally steady. Um, for there are like a handful of reasons why you could argue that Joe Biden would be the most electable candidate. There are a handful of reasons why you would say he would not be the most electable candidate, including his performance in the last couple debates. Um, but there has been this kind of conventional wisdom that's caught on that somebody who's friends with Barack Obama and uh, has is seen as Grant and Joe can kind of get a coalition of Obama voters and some of the Trump coalition together in 2020. I don't know, but so, people believe it. So, John, Elizabeth Warren is certainly more electrifying. Uh, there is no doubt that she has caught fire uh, within the Democratic Party. She's got a tremendous field operation. When I talk to folks in Iowa uh, on the ground who are 
not in her campaign. Uh, they say that if the caucuses were held today, they expect that she would win the caucuses. Hmm. So forgetting the polling for a minute where Joe Biden is ahead, uh, I think all the other candidates recognize that. You saw Kamala Harris go up with television ads in the last couple of weeks. You saw Joe Biden go up with television ads. Pete Buttigieg has put up radio and digital ads in Iowa. They are playing catch up right now with Elizabeth Warren. Uh, there's no question that the energy is with her. Uh, in the Democratic Party. And the big question, is that electability one? Uh, I think the strength for Joe Biden is that uh, the more Donald Trump uh, um, gets into places where he is uh, using racist language, where he is uh, making uh, Democrats fearful, um, the more Joe Biden's numbers go up. His argument for a return to normalcy and steadiness uh, makes sense to a lot of Democrats who are fearful, literally fearful of a Trump presidency. Um, the uh, flip side of that argument, though, is that it's not a zero-sum argument. So um, it's not that one candidate is electable and the others are not. It's more of a, a threshold argument. And mm -hmm. if Joe Biden is making the argument that he is electable, uh, that doesn't mean that Elizabeth Warren or Pete Buttigieg or Kamala Harris or Bernie Sanders or somebody else cannot reach that threshold in voters' minds. And so the, the key for Elizabeth Warren, since that's the person we're talking about, the key for her is to convince Democratic voters who like her better or who are more enthusiastic about her that she is equally electable um, as Joe Biden is or, or just more electable than Donald Trump. The um, impression that I get in talking to reporters around the road, like you uh, and you, uh, is that while Elizabeth Warren is surging, uh, Joe Biden steady, Bernie Sanders still coming in number two for the most part, that Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris may have plateaued. Leah, do you yeah, think? I mean, I think if you're looking at polling, that's a fair conclusion to draw. Um, I think there's still plenty of time left. We saw you know, Kamala Harris had a, a kind of a bump after the first Democratic yeah. debates. Um, we haven't seen that. That was two last. months ago. <laughs> exactly. So there's still time for there's still time for first off Biden to make a mistake or misstep. Though I don't think I think he's kind of part of his profile is making mistakes and saying things that don't sound totally PC. So that might not actually hurt him. Um, but there's still more debates left, and there's plenty of time for people to kind of make a spot for themselves on on the in kind of the top tier. But right now, it just seems like the energy is on Elizabeth Warren's side. She's seen the most movement throughout this entire thing um, that hasn't really stopped, and that Joe Biden still has this 20 to 30 percent that hasn't moved over to another candidate yet. And I think the final point on Elizabeth Warren, uh, when when John, this week, she spoke to a group of Native Americans and started out by saying, basically, I screwed up. And I'm sorry, and and uh, I know some people are hurt, and I'm sorry, and uh, that seemed to, you know, be accepted by them, and she moved on. Yeah, I mean, there there are uh, sort of two things there, right? There's the apology itself, and then there's the show, don't tell nature of being willing to apologize for a mistake. She doesn't go around saying I'm the kind of person who apologizes. She yeah. just apologizes. Yeah, uh, and there's a contrast there both with Donald Trump and, to an extent, with Joe Biden, who has been reluctant to say the I'm sorry 
part mm-hmm. of the I'm sorry's. You know, the, with the crime yeah. bill in 1994, he's basically mm-hmm. proposed repealing massive sections of the crime bill, including the federal death penalty, but won't say he's sorry for the crime <laughs> bill. Um, when Elizabeth Warren came out and said she wanted to repeal the crime bill, uh, it wasn't that much different than his proposal for repealing the crime bill that wasn't called a repeal of the crime bill. Uh, So I think there's, I think there's something to that showing that demonstration. Uh, The key for her is going to be trying to explain to non-Native American groups, the sort of, uh, I'm using this term the wrong way, but the sort of cultural appropriation of saying that she was something she was not um, Mm -hmm. to perhaps get ahead. Right. It felt like a really good tool in Trump's toolbox, that that kind of Pocahontas epithet. Um, But we haven't seen him use it in a little while. Um, And I don't know if it's already I don't know if it's it's run out of steam. There are Republicans who believe that's the magic bullet against her. And I don't believe I don't think that that is likely to end up costing her the presidency. Even Donald Trump said he probably used it too soon. You should have saved it until the very end. So um, my favorite part of the roundtable every week is getting everyone's favorite story of the week. We all talk about so much. We cover so much. We write about so much. But every once in a while, there's something that just grabs your attention. What was yours, Leah? This so week? I have two very quick things. Okay. One is that if you listen to the Fresh Air podcast or radio show with Terry Gross, she interviewed a kitten lady who like nurses kittens from birth and it's adorable and is pro fostering pets. So listen to that if you want to be happy. Um, but as second, a, as a cat person, I salute you. Sure that's great. Yep, as a cat person, I that's of course my story idea. Um, but I also just want to plug that people should be paying attention to the Kentucky governor's race as well, where the Democratic uh, Governors Association just released a poll that had the Democrat up. Um, nine points. So that's a race that we should not be sleeping on and should be reading reading all the stories about so, that. So Mitch McConnell, beware, right? Uh, because uh, if not the governor's quite. race, no? I, no. no, do you think that could Voters spill differentiate over? between federal and state races, oh, but we'll, too, we'll, we'll keep watching. <laughs> too bad. Okay. What got your attention this week, John? Uh, the Washington Post has a story uh, about uh, how Major League Baseball players don't know <laughs> what day of the week it is ever. And I identify with that because I often don't know what day of the week it is. But also, it's very funny about baseball players. But in terms of politics, uh, I thought there was a really interesting uh, moment this week with Bernie Sanders, um, who uh, who made an adjustment sort of to his Medicare for All plan uh, to um, – Mm-hmm. to address some concerns that labor had. And uh, it was sort of first run out there in the media as him um, changing or reversing positions. But really, it was a tiny additional uh, provision, a tweak, if you will, uh, where he basically said uh, he was going to put out a federal rule that required employers, if they get savings from uh, Medicare for All, mm-hmm. from not having to uh, to pay for health care for their employees, that they would root those savings back into wages or uh, additional benefits. And it addressed the concern of unions that uh, by going into Medicare for all, they would give up benefits, uh, health care benefits that they had negotiated previously in contracts with their employers. Um, I thought this was a really interesting move by Bernie for two reasons. Number one, uh, he's not really known for um, listening to his critics mm-hmm. and adjusting what he's doing as a result of it. Uh, so I thought that showed some political dexterity on his part that's unusual for him. Uh, number two, it kind of um, maybe boxed Elizabeth Warren in a little bit because she is now the only person who supports Medicare for all <laughs> and has not made some sort of uh, yeah. uh, provision for this union concern. Right. 
Uh, and uh, my favorite story of the week, I can't resist, I'm sorry, uh, Sean Spicer. Sean Spicer will be on the next season of Dancing with the Stars. How, <laughs> how far they have fallen, right? It's just the idea that he would agree to do that, I find, is just appalling, but not surprising. I mean, he's desperate to keep his name out there and try to restore his reputation somehow. I don't think this does it. But it leads gives us all the freedom to just go wild with Bill. You're jealous. With <laughs> <laughs> as I saw somebody said, instead of tap dancing to everything his boss wanted, now he's going to be dancing with the stars. You could go on and on, but that's why none of sure. us would agree to do Dancing with the Stars. There are many reasons why we would not agree to do Dancing with the Stars. Uh, For me personally, right? Yeah. Do you think he'll be pushing a podium as he's tap dancing? Who knows, right? Poor uh, Sean. I... Poor Sean. Poor Sean. <laughs> that's that's one way to wrap it up. Poor Sean. And that's that wraps up today's roundtable. To Leah, thank you so much. John Allen, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I've got a quick parting shot uh, before we say goodbye, and uh, I hasten to add the parting shot. My comments, my opinion only, not necessarily reflecting the comments of the panel. But, you know, the way I see it for Democrats, there was good news on the 2020 front this week. Both Jay Inslee and John Hickenlooper dropped out of the running, which means there are now only 22 Democrats left running for president. Actually, Seth Moulton has dropped out too, so now that's 21. Even better news, Hickenlooper announced that he's going to run for Senate in Colorado against Cory Gardner, considered one of the most vulnerable Republicans up for re-election. Now, Beto O'Rourke, Steve Bullock, and Stacey Abrams should accept reality too and follow Hickenlooper's lead. Not one of them is going to be the Democratic nominee for president, but each of them could be their state's next senator when Democrats need to flip only three seats to take back control of the Senate. Yes, Beto electrified the nation two years ago in his race against Ted Cruz, but he'd also have a great shot against Texas Senator John Cornyn, who's limping into re-election with only 37% approval in Texas. And Steve Bullock, with 60% approval rating in Montana, would be a slam dunk against the largely unknown Steve Daines. Meanwhile, even though she hasn't announced for president, Stacey Abrams keeps teasing about she's still thinking about it or maybe thinking about vice president. Forget about it, Stacey. You'd be the strongest candidate for Senate against George's David Perdue. That's where you should run. Yes, for Democrats, winning back the Senate is just as important as winning the White House. Beto O'Rourke, Steve Bullock, and Stacey Abrams could make it happen. Only their bloated egos stand in the way. And that's it for the podcast here this week. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks again to our panel, John Allen and Leah Skaranam. Thank you all for listening. Remember, we depend entirely on your support. So please go to apple.com, google.com, Spotify, or tune in. Subscribe to the Bill Press Pod and give us a great big five-star rating. That's the best way to help us grow and grow the podcast every day. Next up, don't miss this one, my interview with Anthony Scaramucci, the mooch. Why did he suddenly turn against Donald Trump? And will he help mount a successful challenge to Donald Trump in 2020? That's the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. We'll see you then.